Well, this has been an interesting week, hasn't it? There's an old Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. <laughs> so I want to add my appreciation to our veterans that are present here, as well as online, as the son of an Army veteran, the son-in-law of an Army Air Corps veteran, and the proud father of a career Navy hospital corpsman. Um, I've been surrounded by veterans and grateful for uh, men and women who've served. So thank you to just add to the video, by the way, was all pictures of uh, men and women in our family of churches around the country, um, put together especially by our uh, what's called Eagle Commission, those of us that are supporting our chaplains that are serving in all the branches of the military. And so it's kind of Kind of cool to see all those faces go by and realize that those men and women are all part of our, uh, our fellowship at churches. That's exciting. One of the highlights of my week was Tuesday evening. Uh, several of us spent uh, part of Tuesday afternoon and Tuesday evening uh, making visits on some of the folks that are at home watching online and haven't, we haven't seen them physically here for seven months. And so we put together a bouquet of flowers and a card along with a little special poem and uh, delivered those to several folks, and it, it was fun. I got to visit uh, three of our ladies and uh, spend a little bit of time with them and share with them, and it was uh, really the highlight of my week just to be able to, to sit with Evelyn for about a half an hour in her, her apartment and uh, share with her and, and stand outside uh, Linda Headley's apartment uh, with our masks on and uh, in the doorway where everyone was coming and going. And, uh, and to share some time with her. And then I finished my evening at Eileen's home and uh, had a fun time with her. She showed me all her crocheting projects, and uh, that was kind of cool, too. And so uh, we just want to remind all of us to remember those that aren't here and can't come. Some of them, uh, most of them, just because of, uh, you know, physical concerns about this COVID thing. And um, we continue to respect and appreciate that that's a challenge. And so we want to stand with our brothers and sisters and uh, just kind of be supportive of them and realize that even though we're separated by a little bit of distance and we're not all here in the same room together at the same time, we're, we're still one family together, right? Boy, that was weak. We're still one family together, right? Yeah. There we go. That's better. You're, you're all awake, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Just want to double check. Well, let's look to the Lord and just give him thanks as we prepare to open our Bibles together. Lord Jesus, what a blessing it is to have this place of worship, to have this place where we can gather. What a blessing it is to have all that we share in common because of Jesus. Yes, there are so many things that uh, perhaps separate us and make us different. Some of our uh, history, some of our ex life experiences, some of our realities. There's so much that the evil one would love to remind us of and reminds our whole country of today of that which divides. And I'm grateful for all that we share in common this morning, simply because of Jesus. And so we come this morning as we've been reminded by our worship team to lift our, our voices to you in praise and to draw our hearts together, to draw our hearts together in your presence, to lift our praises, our thanksgiving, our joys to you. And that we have found all that we need in Jesus. All that we need today, all that we need tomorrow and beyond is found in you. Give us that understanding, that realization today that all that we need is found in you. And so it's with that spirit of thanksgiving that we come this morning, we open our Bibles together, 
giving you praise and honor and glory that you alone deserve. We're grateful for all of this. And we ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Probably the most interesting part of my week was uh, presenting my sermon title on Tuesday. Now that the election is over, now what? And uh, then Tuesday finished and the election wasn't over. And Wednesday came and the election wasn't over. And Thursday, you know what I mean? And I was telling my wife, I think I'm going to have to change my sermon if this election is still coming. And, and even today, it's really not over, right? I mean, there's so much controversy, chaos. Uh, we live in interesting times. That Chinese curse is so true. So how are you doing this morning with all this stuff? How are you doing? Um, you struggling with any, any anxieties? Is fear a part of what's kind of gnawing at the back of your, your head and heart this morning? Um, are you celebrating? You're joyful? Are you in despair? Um, it's sad that the circumstances and events of life impact us so heavily. And um, it, it's just been a weird week in so many ways. And I, I always find it interesting in weird times, weird weeks, what uh, my friends on Facebook have to say. Um, yeah, uh, Leanne uh, grew up in the church in Altaloma where I pastored for 15 years. And so I was her pastor for a number of years. And she went away to college and got married. And she's back in Tennessee. And uh, she was one of the ones I read first on uh, Wednesday. And she wrote this. You don't get to pray, thy will be done, and then throw a tantrum when your candidate loses. There's wisdom in there, isn't there? There really is. Um, I, I, I said, Leanne's right on. Another of my friends says, don't worry. If you're a Christian, you're already, you've already won the most important election of all time. We were chosen by God to be his child. You've won the most important election of all time. Uh, that's, a, that's a great reminder. Uh, Kathy Zorn, uh, one of my friends I grew up with in the Long Beach Church. She was a missionary with Wycliffe for a number of years. And she wrote this. After the election, please don't let the elephants and the donkeys make you forget you belong to the Lamb. Isn't that good? That's, 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 I, I'm just impressed. Uh, Susie Davis, uh, we went to high school together. She says, I'm hearing a lot of fear. <laughs> what does God repeat to us again and again? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Um, one of my pastor friends that I've known all the way, we played ball against each other in high school. He went to Whittier Christian and I went to Brethren. Uh, Dave Miller, he says, talk about a close presidential race. Will anyone trust the polls again? Hope in the Lord. Love your neighbor. That's a good reminder, David. Um, my friend Pam Beeman, <laughs> another gal that attended our church in Altaloma when I was pastor there, she says, waking up to election chaos, and then she quotes Joe Stalin, the people who cast the votes decide nothing. The people who count the votes decide everything. <laughs> yeah, some people are struggling with that reality this morning. Some of you know my friend Claudia Todd. Her, her, her husband Richard was a pastor of our ch community church in Whittier, and uh, she wrote these words that I kind of like. She said, after the election, if you win, don't gloat. If you lose, don't despair. That kind of that kind of captures a bunch of it. Uh, there's just so many so many great things. Uh, one of the young ladies that was a grew up in the church in Modesto when I was pastoring up in central up in the Central Valley. 
And she says, In a time when chaos threatens, when fear reigns, when weariness abounds, and when anxiety overwhelms, it is not trite to say that God is in control, worthy of our trust. These words are not hollow. They are rock solid, full of the truth that brings light to darkness. Let the morning bring you word of his unfailing love. Do not let your heart be troubled. Take refuge. Be glad and sing for joy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are not empty words. These are not empty words. Christian, today is a great day to go stand in the light and then glow in the dark. The world needs it. One of my son's uh, friends that's friends with me on Facebook, he said, to, the conservative, to my conservative friends, I'm sorry you have to go into a nuclear fallout shelter now. The end of the world is near. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. We needed that word of encouragement. People are responding in so many fascinating ways. And uh, Facebook is just kind of a, a capsulation of that. John F. Kennedy is famous for many wonderful things that he said. And uh, this quote popped up on Facebook a number of times this week. Let us not seek the Republican answer or the Democratic answer, but the right answer. Let us not seek to fix the blame for the past. Let us accept our own responsibility for the future. Not the Republican answer, not the Democratic answer, but the right answer. So where in the world do you go to find the right answer? There you go. There you go. And so we want to come to the scriptures this morning. And as, as I thought about that, like Chewy, I pondered uh, for quite a bit this week about scriptures that speak to the times in which we live. And um, the second psalm is a fascinating passage because it begins with these words. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing. And that kind of captures the world we live in and especially the chaos that we're in right now in our country. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in the heavens does what? He laughs. <laughs> So while many people are stressed, some are despairing, some are celebrating, all, all this stuff going on, um, God watches and observes, and his response is what? Laughter. I, I just kind of love that. The Lord laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger, terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Amen. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if all the rulers of all the nations on this planet, all the governors, all the mayors of all the cities in our country would worship the Lord with reverence? Wouldn't that be a wonderful, awesome thing? And, uh, you know, that's probably not going to happen anytime soon, right? And so my question this morning is election's over, sort of, kind of, maybe. I don't know where that's going to play out. I'm not concerned about it, frankly. Um, I'm, I'm probably the weird one in the group because I don't watch the news every night. I get a newspaper on the weekends because I like the color comics. Um, that's the first part of the newspaper I go to is comics because I like a little laughter in my life every day if I can, right? So what do we do now? How do we respond to this election and this, this crisis? How do we deal with the chaos that's around us? How do we deal with this new microphone that's going to be a little weird today and we're going to figure it out? How do, how do we deal with all this stuff? And so I've got four thoughts that I want to just kind of put out there for you today. And, and some of these are reflected a little bit even in some of my friends' comments on Facebook. But the first thing that we need to do, our first response to what is happening around us is we need to rejoice. Can you rejoice this morning in the reality of the world in which you and I live? No, it's hard. It's hard. So if you're going to rejoice, is that something that just kind of naturally happens in the circumstances of life? Do you rejoice when cancer comes into your life? Do you rejoice when job loss comes into your life? It's, it's a struggle to rejoice. And yet, how often does the scripture call us to be people who rejoice? How often? Over and over again. And I found myself on your page, Ed, I'm having trouble rejoicing in this. There's things I'm struggling with. All this chaos and and I've struggled with this for weeks just because of the way people treat each other, the way people talk to each other, uh, the way some of my friends treat me on Facebook. Uh, you know, it's just kind of a crazy time. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord most of the time. No. He says, Rejoice in the Lord what? Always. And then he repeats it and says, And again I say, Rejoice. Now, you have to back up from that, that sentence and say to yourself, so what are the life circumstances that Paul was facing when he said that? Was Paul just kind of cruising on, having a great time of ministry, celebrating people coming to faith, churches being... No, no, no. Where was Paul when he wrote those words? He's in prison. He's in prison. Paul is in prison in Rome, and his expectation is... That at any day, at any time, he could be killed. He would be executed by the Roman government. He could be beheaded. He could be crucified. They had all kinds of fascinating ways to kill people. And so Paul's sitting in prison, anticipating the end of his life, and he says what? Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. A few verses later in chapter 4, he says in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, probably that verse, as much or more than any other verse in the Bible, is kind of ripped out of its context and applied to a multitude of things in life. Um, I've heard people use that verse to describe their ability to run a marathon. 
Is God capable of enabling you to, well, not me, not me, um, but if you were in training and getting ready, could God help you finish a marathon? Yeah. Uh, could, uh, you want to come preach? That's my next illustration, man. So can God strengthen me and enable me to finish a 100-mile bike ride, a century bike ride? Does God have the ability to strengthen me to do lots of things in life? Yes. However, in Philippians 4, what Paul is talking about is contentment in the circumstances of life. He says, I know how to abound. I know how to have wealth. I know how to have the abundance of blessings in life. And I've also experienced kind of the other side of life, the times when there's lack, there's time when there's not enough food to eat, the times when there's physical suffering. And what Paul is saying is, regardless of the circumstances in my life, Christ will enable me and strengthen me through those circumstances. And so Paul says, in the circumstances of life, rejoice. And that's hard to do sometimes. That's hard to do a lot of times, isn't it? You got any difficulties in life this week? Any challenges you're facing? You know, we have, we have folks in our church family that are struggling with cancer. That's a hard thing to celebrate in your life. It's a hard thing to rejoice about. And yet God's instruction to us is how do we respond to physical illness? How do we respond? Rejoice. There's people in our church family that, that struggle with breathing issues, whether it's asthma, COPD, undiagnosed breathing issues. Rejoice. I can tell you don't want to rejoice. <laughs> Anybody experiencing financial challenges in this COVID time? Anybody experiencing a reduction of work hours, reduction of pay, reduction of benefits, loss of job? And Paul says, rejoice. Sometimes in my, sometimes in my life, that's one of the hardest things to do, um, to rejoice. <laughs> Most of you, maybe not all of you, but some of you know my wife, has experienced some significant memory loss over the last three years. And we've been to a couple of neurologists. We've been just recently to a psychoneurologist down in Loma Linda. And basically what they can tell us is she doesn't have dementia. She doesn't have Alzheimer's. And yes, this event that happened three years ago, the result is memory loss. And so I don't know if any of the rest of you have experienced this in your life with family members probably parents or grandparents, um, it's really frustrating. Very frustrating for both Andrea and for me. And she describes it as last thing in, first thing out. And so we have the same conversation three or four times in the span of a very short window of time. It's very frustrating. And Paul's admonition to Roy in the midst of that frustration, is what? Rejoice. And so, my encouragement to you, my, my word of what do we do now, is in spite of the circumstances of life, God calls us to rejoice. 
And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of one of my favorite minor prophets. I've been reading through the minor prophets this uh, fall. And at the end of the book of Habakkuk, and sometime if I have time, I'm going to preach this little book because I, I love the story of Habakkuk. The first chapter opens up and he's angry with God, questioning God because God's bringing the Babylonians against Judah. And in the middle chapter, in chapter 2, he's still struggling in his conversation with God. And he winds up at the end of the book. It's, it, you know, if you're one of those people that likes to know how the story ends before you read the book. Um, the prophet Habakkuk, in verse 17, in chapter 3 of his little book, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines... Though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet. and makes me walk on high places. And so God's call, God's challenge to you and to me, is to rejoice. Regardless of the circumstances. Regardless. My wife and I enjoy reading Oswald Chambers, and they have a daily email that's produced uh, by people who publish his book. I'm not sure exactly. My wife sends the email to me every every day, and Friday's message from Oswald Chambers. He wrote that great book, My Utmost for His Highest. God does not further our spiritual life in spite of our circumstances, but in and by our circumstances. Can you make room in your life this week for rejoicing? Can you make room in your life this week for rejoicing? I'll try. Sometimes when I have conversations with people about difficult decisions and difficult choices, and they're struggling with doing what God says to do. Have you ever been there? Someone besides me struggle? You read the scriptures, you know what God wants you to do, and you're going, ah. One of my prayers to God in those times is, Lord, I want to be willing to be willing. Right now, I'm not willing to do what you want me to do, but I want to be willing to do what you want me to do. And so I sometimes encourage people, pray that way. Lord, help me to be willing to be willing. That's a great need in, in my life. I need to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of life's circumstances. By the way, you and I are part of the greatest nation in the universe. And I'm not talking about the United States of America. The greatest nation in the universe is we who are the called out ones that God has called to himself and established into a nation for him. And as I suggested to you last week, one of the reminders we need to have is that our citizenship is in heaven, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. And so I can rejoice. I can try to be willing even to rejoice. In the circumstances. I struggle to rejoice sometimes in the circumstances of life. My second R word, we not only need to rejoice, we need to relax. 
Um, I'm amazed at the the hostility, the anger, the strife. Uh, people are so upset, um, and even yet upset. Upset prior to the election, during the election, and now at this point. And maybe there's cause for that. I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on. But Daniel 2 says this, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. And it's always good to read the context in which you find a verse of Scripture. We're so prone to taking one verse and kind of pulling it out of the context, and we lose a lot of the beauty and the nuances of what God is trying to tell us. In Daniel chapter 2, it's a, it's a fascinating chapter. I'd love to preach that chapter too. I love the book of Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar calls in all of his wise guys, all of his wise men, all of his advisors. And he says, I need you guys to tell me the interpretation of the dream I had last night. And the spokesperson for all those wise men says to the king, Absolutely, king. You tell us what the dream is, and we'll tell you what it means. And Nebuchadnezzar says, nope, this time we're changing the rules. This time I want you to tell me what the dream was, and then tell me what it means. <laughs> Talk about, King, you can't change the rules. That's not how this works. You tell us the dream, we'll give you the answer. We'll tell you what it means. And there's this dialogue that's almost humorous. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar is over the top, and he says, if you do not tell me what my dream was and what it means, you guys are all headed to the gallows. You're, you're done. I'm killing you all. And when the messenger comes to Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to take them to judgment, Daniel says, so what's going on? What's the problem? And the soldier tells Daniel what the king has said. And Daniel goes, well, Buy us a little time. I'm going to talk to God, and he's going to give me the answer. And so Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar, having God reveal to him the dream and what it means. And this is Daniel's response. God is in control. God's in charge. He raises up kings. He raises up nations. He puts them down. And when I understand that, I can relax. My friend Amber said in that little uh, Facebook post that I read, it may sound trite to say that God is in control. But, is it true or not? Do we believe it or not? God is in control. And if God's in control, I can relax. Because I'm not in control, <laughs> for sure. Ephesians 1.11 says, God works all things after the counsel of his own will. How many things? All things. I can relax. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that God causes most things to work together for good, right? No. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. It's you and me. To those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's you and me. And he goes on and says that those that he's um, called, he's foreordained, he's predestined, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. What's God up to? 
in the midst of all this chaos. What does God want to accomplish in my life and your life in the midst of the circumstances of life? What is God's goal? Draw us nearer to Him and to make us more like Jesus. And so, do my responses on Facebook reflect Jesus? Do my conversations with people reflect Jesus? He, God is at work, and He wants to make us a little bit more like Jesus. That's His goal. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is producing patience, endurance, remaining under the pressure. That's what that word endurance means. The pressure is pressing down. That you may be perfect, complete, mature, lacking nothing. So God is far more concerned about my spiritual life, my spiritual development, my spiritual growth, your spiritual life, your spiritual development, your spiritual growth. That's what He's after. That's what He's up to. And God is accomplishing that, as as Oswald Chambers said, not in spite of the circumstances, but by and in the circumstances. So can you relax a little bit? By the way, what's, what's still true? God's still on His throne. Doesn't matter who, who's elected or not elected. God's still on His throne, right? Jesus is still the Savior of the world. The Bible still has the answers. The Holy Spirit still indwells and fills and controls and works in us and through us. There's lots of stuff that continues to be true in the midst of of chaos, in the midst of all this stuff. Prayer still works, right? God still answers. The promise is still true. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Relax. One of my favorite verses that I found myself thinking of again this week is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He'll do what? Make your path straight, depending on your translation. Faith, not anxiety. Faith, not fear. We need to rejoice. We need to relax. We need, thirdly, to re-engage. Set this election aside. We need to re-engage. For some, for some, maybe there's a need to re-engage politically, to evaluate involvement in the politics of our culture. I think I suggested this last week. Do we need more Christians in politics? Do we need more Christian mayors? Do we need more Christian school boards? 
this thing's going crazy. Is it my fault? I don't know what I'm doing. Do we need more Christian governors? Yes. We need more Christians to be involved, not just in voting or complaining, but maybe there's opportunity for some of us to re-engage. More importantly than all the political stuff, we need to re-engage spiritually. Put the election aside. What's going to happen is going to happen if they're going to do recounts or whatever's going to happen. I don't know. It's just chaos. Set that aside. Rejoice. Relax. And then we need to re-engage spiritually. And I wrote notes to myself. Prayer is as important now as it has ever been. Is that true? Absolutely. Prayer for President Trump, our president-elect. New cabinet's going to be chosen. We've got some changes taking place in the, the uh, Supreme Court with a new justice being, being brought in. There's, there's going to be change taking place. And our response should be to pray. Doesn't the Bible call us to pray for those in leadership over us? Seems like I have, I remember a passage about that, right? First Timothy chapter two, Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that prayers and entreaties with thanksgiving be made for all men and especially for kings and governors and all those in authority that we might lead a quiet and tranquil life. We need to pray. Prayer is more important now than it's ever been. We need to be men and women who pray. Pray for our, our country. Pray for our church. Pray for the churches of America. There's a lot of people in turmoil and chaos today. A lot of people in churches that are upset in turmoil, chaos. We need to pray. Evangelism, secondly, is as important as it has ever been. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. One of the challenges we have, and Chewy kind of alluded to this earlier when he talked about the Wednesday night Bible study coming up, but one of the challenges we have in life, not just in these circumstances, but so often it's true, is we forget that we're involved in spiritual warfare. This is not just a political thing. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. And our enemy is not the other political party. The enemy is not those people out there, those people over there. The enemy is the devil, Satan, our adversary, the slanderer, our accuser. The scripture says he wanders about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, and you can get the rest of the story Wednesday night, but Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness and high places. And Paul's call in that chapter is for us to put on the full armor of God. Because we're engaged in a spiritual battle. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. 
I think of that often when I'm on Facebook trying to be careful about what I say or don't say because I've got a lot of unsaved friends that read and respond to everything I put on Facebook. And I want to make sure that the things I'm putting out, that most I love cartoons, and so most of the stuff I post are cartoons. Um, I just want to make sure that nothing I say or do is going to push an unbeliever further away from Jesus. I want what I say or do to draw them toward Jesus, right? Does that make sense? That's what it's all about. And so we need to re-engage prayer, evangelism. And I think also it's important we need to re-engage in the teaching of God's Word, the teaching of God's truth. One of the things that troubles me often is realizing how far away our culture has drifted from the truths of God's Word. Our culture is, has embraced uh, a humanism that does not believe in ultimate truth. It's embraced a secularism that is far removed from the truth of God's Word. And sadly, at least from things I read, in the churches of America, we have many people that are not, they're disconnected, if I can use that word, disconnected, from the truth of what the Scriptures teach. That, of course, isn't true here, right? We're all firmly tied in to what the Scriptures teach. But our culture is hammering at us Every day. Every day our culture is telling us what their truth is. And it's so easy to be swayed with the flow of public opinion. It's so easy to be swayed with the media stuff that you're bombarded with every day. Whether you're watching the news, whether you're watching talk shows on television, whether you're listening to talk shows on the radio, the media is blasting us every single hour with lies with deception, with falsehood. And my suspicion is, this is just a wild guess, but my suspicion is in the life of the average Christian in America, if at the end of the week there would be a tally of all the hours and time spent watching television and the media, and all those hours were tallied up, and that would be placed against the amount of hours that are spent in Scripture, either at church or in a Bible study or personal study. I think the, there would be a vast difference between those two totals. Would that be a realistic guess? And so we're being bombarded constantly with the lies, the deception, the falsehoods of our culture. And we need to know the truth. The truth's found in the Scriptures. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It, it gets in there. We need to know the truth. You've heard me quote numerous times in the, in the times that I've stood here in front of you. 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is inspired of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man or woman of God might be perfect, mature, adequately equipped for every good work. We need the scriptures in our lives. We need to re-engage spiritually 
prayer, evangelism, and Scripture. I wrote a little note to myself, turn your TV off and turn your Bible on. Is that good wisdom? Probably I didn't think of it then if it's good. So we need to rejoice. We need to relax. We need to re-engage. And then fourthly, what we ultimately really need is revival. We need revival in our personal lives. We need revival in our churches. And we need revival in our country. Our constant prayer to God should be for revival, for renewal. It's fascinating, as I've been reading through the Minor Prophets, one of the themes that has just kind of jumped out at me that I don't know I've ever paid a whole lot of attention to before is God's call to His people to return to Him. Return, return, return. If someone needs to return, what's that imply? (laughs) They've gone away. And God says, return to me, return to me, return to me. And the psalmist says it so easily in in Psalm 80. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Psalm 85, he says, Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. Psalm 119, you find this call of revival tied in with the Scriptures six or seven times in those 176 verses. One of those verses, verse 48 says, Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Our nation, regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of who serves in the Senate, the House of Representatives, regardless of who sits on the Supreme Court, this nation needs to be called back to God. And that's not going to happen unless we, you and me, God's people, followers of Jesus, get serious about our walk with Him, get serious about sharing Christ with others, One of the things that has puzzled me for a long time is how many Christians expect non-believers to act like Christians. We expect the pagans to act biblically. We expect the pagans to embrace biblical truth. What is it ultimately that's going to lead the pagans, the unbelievers, to embrace biblical truth and to endorse biblical patterns of behavior? What is it that's going to cause that to happen? They cease being unbelievers and they come to faith in Jesus, right? That's the answer. They need to know Jesus. Need to know Jesus. So we are, we need revival. We need to pray for revival. The sad reality is, I guess I'll use the word sad reality is that more times than not, what God uses to revive His people is, guess what? Suffering. Persecution. Because it's in times of suffering, times of persecution, times of difficulty, that we finally understand the truth of the song we sang this morning. That everything we need is found in Jesus. Everything we need is found in Him. We don't need anything else. It's found in Him. 
I was on a bike ride a couple of weeks ago, and uh, my friend Don introduced me to another gentleman that was riding with us, and uh, he began talking to me about his ministry in China. And I was kind of fasc- fascinated by this, because obviously with COVID, his travel restrictions don't allow him to be there, so he's continuing his ministry by Zoom. But he was telling me stories about going into China and his ministry is training pastors and training church leaders and going into these secret house churches and the Chinese having to kind of secretly move him around. Um, we, we don't have to do that here. But what has happened to the church in China because of the level of persecution that they've experienced? They're thriving. There are millions of believers in Jesus today because of the the persecution and the pressure that's on them. One of my good friends, Eric Smith, has been a missionary, I don't know, going on 35 plus years probably. He was one of my leaders in college ministry. And when I was in Long Beach, I had the privilege to marry he and his wife. And uh, God has opened up a door of ministry for him in Mongolia. And Mongolia is one of those dark places on the planet. It's been a country that for many years experienced a lot of persecution. And they're doing studies trying to figure out how many churches there are in Mongolia. And as these studies are being done, it's just amazing to see what God has done in times of persecution, in times of hard times. It's not my prayer that God would bring persecution on the Church of America, but He could. He might. What would change if all the pastors in America were rounded up and put in prison? What would change? Well, one thing that changed is Chewy would be preaching next Sunday. (laughs) James is clapping. You know, what, what, what would change? What would change if all the churches were locked up and you were not allowed to be inside this building on Sunday morning? What would change? <laughs> we'll find other places to meet, you know. God's still on the throne. God's still in control. So, I wrote these notes to myself as I thought about all this stuff. I need to rejoice. I need to relax. I need to re-engage. I need revival in my life, in our church, in our country. And so I wrote myself this note. Beware. Beware. Beware if your hope for the future depends on who won the election and who will be in the White House in January. Beware if your hope is in that individual rather than in Jesus the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who reigns supreme. Beware. Beware if your fear of who's in the White House is greater than your faith in God. (laughs) Beware if your peace of mind depends on the right party being in control or power rather than resting in Jesus. Beware. Because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name.
One of my favorite little choruses says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The first stanza says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I love the last stanza. His word shall not fail you, He promised. Believe Him and all will be well. Do you believe that this morning? His word will not fail you. Believe Him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. And then you can say the words with me if you have them memorized. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Lord, our confidence this morning is in You. Our hope is in You. Our faith is in You. Our trust is in You. And Lord, I pray that even in the midst of all this chaos, all this stuff of life, that somehow in the midst of all this, we might become, each one of us, just a little more desperate for You. A little more desperate to see You at work in our lives. A little more desperate that You might use us to touch and influence the lives of others for You. Lord, this nation may fall. This nation may cease to exist. But Your kingdom will endure forever. Your loving kindness will endure forever. My standing with You as Your child will endure forever. And so Lord, help us to focus Help us this morning simply to turn our eyes upon Jesus. To see Him in all His glory, all His power, all His majesty. Help us to see Him afresh. Lord, remind us this morning. Remind us that there's never a moment that You are not Almighty. There's never a time when you are less than able. There's never a morning where your mercies aren't new. There's never a moment when you are not faithful. Create within us. Create within us just a deeper sense of how much we need you. Yes, we need You in our country. Yes, we need You in our church. We need You most of all in each of our lives. That we might respond this week with rejoicing, relaxing, re-engaging, and revival. Help that to be a part of the reality of each of our lives this week is my prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.
peace, bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break at your name. Still, call the sea to still, the rage in me to still every wave.
Amen. It's all about Jesus, right? At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the message that you and I carry as we leave this place and as we go out into a world that needs to know who Jesus is. Let's be mindful of that this week, that God's promise is still true. In the midst of a chaotic world, maybe more necessary than ever before, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So carry that message as we leave this place. As I like to say, the church leaves the building, right? And we serve Jesus this week. Have a great week.